welcome to the Show Up Podcast, a place where we explore leadership and how it's showing up for us in the world in which we work, and a space for you to explore what leadership means in your context, how you show up, how you turn up to be the best leader you can be in the world that you work in today. In this week's episode, we explore what we feel is one of the most fundamental components of leaders becoming more in tune with themselves and the way that they interact with the world around them. And that component is self-awareness. You'll hear stories of us exploring what self-awareness has meant for us, but also what we've seen in other leaders who start to explore self-awareness in the context of their roles and how it helps them leverage their teams and their activities to be able to achieve what they're looking to achieve. So sit back or walk, if that's what you've chosen to do, and enjoy the episode. Welcome, gents. Welcome, Jamie and Graham, to what is formally episode one of this podcast series, having done the prelude uh, last week. Great to see you gents again. Um, We're going to be talking about the topic of self-awareness today uh, and I thought we should just do a quick check-in first and see how we're all doing. So Graham, what's uh, what's going on for you at the moment? Uh, Weird today. The best way I can describe the feeling I've got today is it's like a bowl of spaghetti that all tastes good but I couldn't tell you where the end and the start is of each piece piece of spaghetti. It's a nice little metaphor for the listeners. That is a strange visual uh, metaphor. I'm trying to get yeah. my head. Should we just spend yeah, the hour discussing what that sparked <laughs> off in both of you? Yeah. I, was, I, was, I was just trying to think, so how present am I? I'm now deeply not present because I'm trying to make sense of the spaghetti analogy. And I'm going, where was he going with that? No, I, need, I, I know I, I want to be present. Um, so I've got another thing that I'm trying to puzzle through. Um, which has been really the story of my day, Derry. Um, puzzling through some admin, some exciting stuff. Um, a really lovely check-in this morning with a group of people who are going, funnily enough, separate ways in the next stage of their lives. And I needed to go for a bit of a walk um, to get myself back into that kind of centred moment where I felt like, okay, I'm all of that stuff is going on, but I'm going to put it to the one side for a moment because I'm going to spend the next hour or so with my friends chatting about something. And then I had to check in, what are we going to chat about? Chat about? Um, so I'm now yeah, more capable of being 90 plus percent present, um, but I, I'm, I'm still aware that I'm quite susceptible at the moment to be distracted intellectually by new ideas and stuff. So no more mention of spaghetti. Thanks, Graham. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Graham. Derry, um, what about you? What about you? Yeah, Where for are you me, at I'm, today? Um, yeah, it's interesting for me today. Like, I woke up quite anxious because I had a day full of calls, six six different Zoom calls, um, which represents quite an exhausting day for me. So I was like, oh, God, how am I going to get through that with my energy intact? And um, two of them with people I've never met before as well, which is also extra extra tiring for the idiosyncrasies of my brain but then one one of those calls got postponed to thursday and it was like a, a release valve going off and uh suddenly felt a lot more energized um right now i'm sitting with a little bit of nervousness uh which i think is 
is coming up because I don't know where this conversation is going to go and how I'm going to contribute to it. Um, and uh, that uncertainty is just bringing up a little bit of nervousness, but um, I'm very much looking forward to getting stuck into it. So I'm sitting in my customary place, balanced between joy and fear um, and uh, anticipating shifting towards the joy side of that spectrum. Um, so with that, we're going to talk about self-awareness. Um, this is a, a absolutely foundational topic for me um and actually i'm i was surprised recently to find out that it's actually a, a big thing for more people as well i um i have a bunch of followers on linkedin and i asked them the question uh in the context of consultants because i'm you know i'm consulting background and i work mostly with consultants and consulting firms and i said i asked this poll like what what is the thing that you think consultants need to work on most and i gave them four options problem solving, building trust with clients, communicating, and self-awareness. And of the, the people that responded to that, 50% of them responded self-awareness, um, which is not the sort of classic thing that you might think consultants need to work on because the consultants are there to solve problems and build trust and communicate clearly with people. But the experiences of those who responded to that poll was actually consultants would really benefit from building self-awareness um and i've seen it in many different aspects of my life and i've built a huge amount of self-awareness in recent years personally that i didn't have and i think it's really interesting to dive into this topic with you gents we yeah. haven't really talked about this in detail much before this conversation so yeah i'm keen to kind of learn more with you uh and hopefully trigger some thoughts from our listeners as well um i, I thought we should start with the question of what what is self-awareness and jamie i know you've read some research in this area and uh done a bunch of thinking about this so it'd be great to if you could kick us off with, with what is self-awareness what are we talking about thanks terry um a bunch of stuff just came to mind as you were talking about the research the primary research you've just done um but also as you say i've done a bunch of reading about this recently and um Oh, I've actually done some of my own primary research into topics around this, and I will shamelessly quote from some of that without giving anything away about who I've done it with and how many people and where they're from. Um, it's a great question. What is self-awareness? And surprisingly, um, there isn't a particularly good definition of this when it comes to uh, the professional arena, ironically enough. Yeah, it's a topic that we're all banding around. Uh, and potentially all talking about, isn't it good to have it? But when I started doing some primary research, a bit like you, um, asked the question, yeah, what does it feel like? What are your perceptions about self-awareness? I then thought, well, I've got six or 700 people I'm going to be doing some research with in one big organization globally. But what does the external world say about this? And there wasn't a standard definition, believe it or not, other than perhaps a dictionary one. But in terms of a practical, usable one, there really wasn't. Um, there's a lady called Tasha Urich, Urich, and she will, if she listens to ever listens to this, she'll probably then send me a note saying you got my name wrong straight away. But she is a, um, uh, a, a you know an executive coach and researcher, and she's done what is probably the best recent meta research on self-awareness. And what she synthesized this into, and it's about 2018 when it came out in Harvard Business Review is that there are probably two categories of self-awareness, definitionally. There's the awareness of your inner self, 
what's going on for me right now and how in touch with that am I? And there's the external self-awareness, which is, am I aware of and how close to being aware of the perception others have of me that is close to my own, I, my impact on others? They're not necessarily the same thing. So there's the inner self-awareness, which people can perhaps be very close to, separate from, or be interlinked with an external self-awareness about perceptions of self by others and how that compares to yourself. And th the point of that research was um, arguably that so much leadership developmental focus and uh, we were talking about this last time, either whether it be in the, the golden age, as we described it then, 25 to 40, or later, post the data gathering, start to make sense of life, ages, was geared around one or the other, but not necessarily embracing the holistic self-awareness, as in how aware of your own self are you, as well as distinctly from that, how aware are you of how you're showing up and others and what others think of you. Um, so those those are the kind of definitional sort of baselines which I've I've, I've been aware of. Um, the bit of research that I did um, uh, my of my own very much told the story that the vast majority of people do have in their own minds that distinction, but they favour one or the other. They focus on either how am I showing up with other people rather than what do I feel? Or they're very sensitive on how they feel and they don't care so much on how they show up. There, there are very few amongst the people that we spoke to, um, as I say, six or 700 people who recognize that both might be part of the same equation. But all of them, and this is the kind of the sort of uh, if there's a punchline or anything, all of them would regard it as being, whether it be one or the other, fundamental to who they were and how they were starting to grow as human beings. And I, I mean, very deliberately, how they were starting to grow as human beings. It's a bit like the base of a pasta sauce. They all recognized that that base needed to be there, but they all had different ingredients that they used. But they all recognized in order for the sauce to be built, layers and layers of flavors, something fundamental around self-awareness, whether it be about them and how they felt about themselves or how they were perceived by others, had to be built first. And a lot of the research I've done in the last couple of years have pointed to that as well. So those, Derry, does that help answer yeah. the question about what, what does the world say about self-awareness? Yeah, it really does. It really does. I'm, I'm left thinking that uh, the, the population that you're talking about with the primary research sounds like a population of people who are already starting to take steps on this journey towards greater self-awareness and i would and graham interested in your experiences around this i i would suggest that that in it in itself makes them relatively rare and that most people regardless of the balance and i really like that balance between the internal and the impact on others regardless of that balance most people have relatively poorly developed levels of self-awareness would be that's that's what i've observed but graham you're interested in your perspectives on that yeah my, well my perspective is that if you look at the age of the people we're you know, 
aiming this at and talking about from a psychological development point of view from the age of 25 onwards they're starting to get a, a noticing of something happening inside themselves that previously has been kind of an unconscious autopilot um you know i you know it's take the we've all got kids take the stranger danger conversation you know the reason strangers appeal to kids is because they bring a narrative that the kids haven't seen before and if the kids like it and engage it they follow along they just blindly follow don't they at first and they need that educational experience to help them grow and start to discern a context in a, in a situation and what i notice in this group of 25 to 40 year olds that awareness and impact starts to become is increasing felt the felt nature of it so the self-awareness piece starts to become more important for them because it helps them recognize what's going on inside or as you say jamie what impact they're having on the world outside of them and they start to be conscious of now that that story could come from something in the past or it could something come from now and there's neuroscience that backs this up as well that there's there's certain things that develop from a neuroscientific point of view in this age range that influence how you experience the world around you and the consequence you take of it. So I, I think the self-awareness piece in this group is more important, partly because society speaks about it, but partly because they have to look somewhere. Because if they haven't, they, those moments of stuckness that they feel in their lives are really starting to show up. And appear and i'm interested to to know in the experiences that you chaps have had what experience have, have you had of people in moments of stuckness or feeling stuck i think that does that does make a lot of sense actually as i think about like the the, the, the people in this golden age of leadership 25 to 40 bracket generally speaking we talked we talked about this last time is they they can they might be adopting leadership themselves or they might have leadership thrust upon them with a, a role title or a job description or, or or the expectations of those around them and particularly for those in that latter camp who are probably the, the majority um they will be moving into that position because they've demonstrated a level of competence at their job that is unusual and therefore they're moving into these leadership positions and it's only when they get to that position that they might start to find things difficult or harder than they have before or something that they've been taught to do or that they've observed and tried to replicate just hasn't worked. And that's the point at which they can then start to go, oh, hold on a minute, what's going on here? Like I, I thought if I did this thing, it would work and it's, and it's not had the reaction that I expected or I've achieved what I wanted to achieve, but I still feel shit inside. Like, mm. like that uh, to speak to the internal data. So to this point of like they they're gathering data, gathering data, gathering data. Most people don't have enough data by twenty five to even think that they need to start making sense of it, particularly high achievers. Um, so I think that's the the kind of the norm that I've observed from the majority of these leaders come through a path where they are academic high achievers and they get into 
high profile jobs and they perform very well and they they get promoted up to a level and then stuff starts to get harder and it stops working a bit and that's when they think right actually i need to i need to like what why is this and some of them will start to think about that and look in the mirror a bit i've got this amazing image in my mind <laughs> just amazing to me by the way um <laughs> which is please tell me it's spaghetti sort of... is it spaghetti Oh, don't you distracted me again, the spaghetti thing. The, it's the spaghetti that gave me the idea of the pasta sauce base, which um, around everybody has a foundational element which they want to build on when they start to become aware of the awareness of self-awareness. Um, but I had this image as, as Derry was describing that, which is there's a this point in time where people's kind of, you know, people are scrambling out of the valleys into the first layer of the hills and they start to get, be able to get to see horizons outside of their valley, <clears throat> outside their valley. And they're scrambling out of those valleys um, either because they want to lead, it's like the metaphor of leadership, or because it's thrust upon them. So they're plucked out or they climb up. But once they get to the top of their first hill, they start to see that there are lots of other valleys, there are lots of other hills, and there are actually mountain ranges which they never knew existed beforehand. So they start to ask themselves questions. Oh, where do I want to go next? Oh, and how did I get here? And what's expected of me now? All of these kind of questions, which in that golden age, suddenly become questions that historically didn't exist because it was all about getting out of the valley. So suddenly this layer of awareness that comes through either choice or being thrust upon them gets people to start asking questions about themselves as well as where they are. And with everybody I've ever worked with, the ones who then start to take a more balanced and perhaps more sustained view about where they want to go next, they combine a combination of what did I learn on my route to where I am now? as well as what do I need to achieve the next stage of my progress. Those who don't necessarily take that into account as they then charge off into whatever direction they're going to take, um, in some cases rather disappointingly, in other cases rather sadly, they tend to either burn out, um, fall foul of a system, they run out of steam, they end up um, I think we've mentioned already, getting to a point where everything they've ever tried no longer seems to work for them and they become victim of the situation that they're in because they've never paid attention to what was going on inside them to help them get where they were and what were they learning en route. And that image that I have in my mind, therefore, um, whether it be helpful for you guys or not, uh, just kind of pictures, you know, helps me picture this kind of personal journey that everybody's on whether they like it or not we're all on that kind of personal journey and the degree to which particularly in that early stage of realization 25 to 40 we call it keep calling it um where people if they had the opportunity to build those muscles of paying attention to themselves about how i'm feeling how do i look after myself as well as what impact might I be having on other people, they then have a foundation which complements 
the feedback they're getting about the achievements um, uh, that they are uh, demonstrating, which will serve them incredibly well. And in fact, many do serve them incredibly well uh, as they progress with either their life or their career. Um, has that imagery thrown us totally off course, by the way? And should we go back to spaghetti? No, not for me at all, actually, because you've just <laughs> highlighted the build I would add is the lessons that people learn from their mentors in life to get out of that valley is you've got to get out of the valley because you've got to skydive. Okay, it's build. This is the build, the skydiving. Okay. So you've got to be able to skydive. If you can get out of the valley, you can skydive. Are you going to skydive out of a valley? Wait. I think I think this might be breaking down, Graham. I'm interested to see what you get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they start to make that journey out of the valley because they they want to skydive. I want to skydive. Can't wait to skydive. I really like the idea of it. So they start going. They get out of the valley. They start to make those steps out. And as you just said in that in that beautiful metaphor, Jamie, that you said there's more hills and mountains and things you've got to climb. So people are trying to get out of this valley because, oh, once I'm out of the valley, I can skydive. But there's a whole load of other things that are needed to actually to be able to get to that point of skydiving that they hadn't even appreciated before they'd gone on that experience and journey. And that's where that point of dissonance comes up inside. Because they're like, well, these are the tools I've told I need. I've got the tools I need, but there's a whole load of stuff I don't even know about. What do I do? And there's a really... There's a recent example I had from a, a coaching session with a, a young young leader talking about aspirations, dreams, goals, where they wanted to go. And they said, well, I, I love what I do. I, I, make a, I make a difference to the world, but I want to make more of a difference. I really want to do something that shifts the environment in which we live. Ah, okay. How are you going to do it? Was my question back. She still hasn't answered me. She has this aspiration and quite rightly so understands that we need to do something to, you know, change the environment that we live in for the good. But when inquiring about the tools, techniques, effort, time, patience, grit, determination, sacrifices, consequences, um, balances, trade-offs that she's got, to, she couldn't, she still cannot describe any of those. And for me, that's where she hasn't started to pay attention honestly to that internal compass. And Jamie, when you were describing, I, I wanted to ask you both. In your experience of people who've, let's just say, started to dabble into self-awareness, what role do you think authenticity to yourself needs to play in becoming self-aware? And where do people let themselves down in that journey? Good question. I, Gary, do you want me to, you want me to say that? Yeah, I think it's a great, I think it's a great question. Um, it actually plays into the, the example that sprung to mind for me when Jamie was, was talking. So I think I observe frequently people that get to a certain position in their careers where they have success in inverted commas by whatever like way society would measure that, you know, they're there's partners or directors or, uh, you know, C-suite execs, um, they're making lots of money. Um, and they've worked really hard to get there. And I observe a lot of people like that who, when I know them seem actually quite stuck there. 
and I think you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna tie I'm gonna I'm gonna tie back to your skydiving analogy, Graham, because I think what they have done is they've chased this the the skydiving result. Um and the it doesn't necessarily lead to contentment. And actually the people that I have observed, and I've got an example I'll share in a second, where they thought they wanted the skydiving and then they've got to a certain place on the mountain and they've said, actually, I'm just going to stop here and light a fire with some friends and, uh, and camp for a while and just be at peace, uh, and prioritize spending time with friends and family over, over chasing that. And I think that for the, the question of authenticity, therefore for me is about, and, and I'm part of why, like when Jamie was talking, I was thinking about the time frame over which we think about self-awareness and, and where you want to get to in life. Like, and I think if you can authentically identify what really matters to you and why that matters and then take the steps towards it, that long-term self-awareness of like, what is the journey I'm on? What's the path I'm going on? Um, and And then enables you to then tie that back and I'm a big fan of kind of personal mission in this context as well, which we'll, I think we'll talk about in a later podcast, but um, enables you to tie that back to what am I doing right now that is moving me in in that direction. So the example, I actually exchanged, uh, exchanged messages with a guy this morning who um, he posted on LinkedIn a picture of his daughter when she was born nearly 10 years ago. And it really resonated with me because my daughter turns 10 in two weeks time. Um, my eldest daughter, I should say. Uh, um, so I've been a, I've been a dad for nearly ten years, um, and the reason he posted this picture was because he's an entrepreneur and he's uh, he's got a recruitment business. And he said, "When I started this business, I started this business ten years ago when I became a dad, and I had massive ambitions and I wanted to create this incredible business and I worked really hard and I burnt myself out. And in the last few years, I have reevaluated what's important to me." And I'm still ambitious, but I'm ambitious at a different pace. And I refuse to compromise time with family and friends. And it was that that self-awareness that took his business down a different path. His style of lead, his whole style of leadership, the way he runs his business, the way he interacts with his team, the the goals that he sets, what's important to him and therefore to them, uh, completely transformed because he was able to look in the mirror and say, I am on a path where I'm compromising the things that are genuinely important to me. And I don't know why. And what I observe is that some people get stuck where they're not able to look in the mirror, observe that and then change anything, because they're so stuck. Um, and so I think that authenticity for me is super important if you're going to have any sense of congruence with who you are and how you're behaving. I love that story, by the way. Um, it would echo my own feelings about it. Um, and Graham, I think it's a brilliant question, by the way. What is the role of authenticity in all of this? Um, and it actually, although I didn't share it at the time, when I looked at the research uh, previously, I had a natural inclination to choose between the two of the categories of self-awareness, definitionally, that I felt was more important. And it's the inner, inner one, in my opinion, that is more fundamental to health and happiness, success sustained on or otherwise um, as a human being, let alone a leader in whatever age group. Um, and it's and it's largely because um, if you can't be in a position where you're looking in the mirror and seeing your true self, 
recognizing what's really important to you and you only ever rely on what um, external validation tells you is important about yourself you're, you're you're in some ways allowing fashionable external influences to dictate be a massive dictation on um, your choice of path if you are genuinely looking at yourself in the mirror and you're really in touch with how you feel about yourself and where you want to go what makes you tick then however tempting those external forces will always be they'll always be measured against what matters most that authentic self-aware what's what what am i about uh, what matters to me um and in many respects a lot of the people i've ever spent time with who are more closely in touch with that, that category of self-awareness are much more attractive to be around because i can choose to to go with them on whatever they're doing or not that's my choice but i know that they're doing it for reasons that typically are about themselves but quite often are about the purpose that they feel that they are serving in their life which is a deeply um uh, compelling um meaning uh, to to see in in somebody's identity um that whole authenticity thing as well in my opinion has got a very important role to play in any of um the sort of the subsequent building blocks from self-awareness to other later stages of any kind of developmental process because if you can't be honest with yourself about where you're at you can't really um be a great role model as a truly curious leader uh, as an inspiring leader as a motivating leader as a i don't know um uh, an innovative leader or a, a risk-taking leader because ultimately in both today's society perhaps always uh, has been the case people see through it after a while and if that authenticity isn't there because you don't know yourself and you're behaving in a way that actually doesn't show up and doesn't gel with what everybody else's experience is of you or they spot the incongruity that might emerge in certain situations then people will ultimately find that out that was one of the one of the questions that came up for me, Jamie. Actually, when you were speaking, then was uh, you've got these two sides of self awareness. Is it even possible to be genuinely tuned in to that external lens on self awareness if you don't have the internal lens? Does the internal lens have to precede the external lens? Because otherwise, I could imagine you could you could gather and interpret data incorrectly where you're not taking responsibility about how your internal uh like what you're feeling and how and how that's triggering your behaviors is influencing other people like i can imagine you can you can get mixed up and unclear on the data if you don't have that internal compass in place so can you do both at once or does it have to be internal slightly ahead of the external do you think my personal belief and i will state my reputation on this if you don't have your internal thing sorted out you'll end up being found out and, and you've got to have one in order for the other to be truly genuine and i i i'm doing some work with another client um got about top thousand people of their of their organization have been through a whole bunch of developmental processes some of them have been through these sort of you know traditional 360 degree feedback forums uh, or for surveys and what what was very interesting was the categories of behaviors that were being surveyed one of which was self awareness 
And um, over the course of, I think it's about 18 months, nearly every one of these leaders showed progress on, on all the categories, particularly self-awareness in terms of where they started, when they ended up. Um, but what the survey also allowed us to look at was what the different relationships perspectives were of that individual. So their self-perception versus those who worked for them, worked alongside them, or who were their bosses. And we realized that actually more telling than the answers and the scores on the self-awareness category was exactly as you just pointed out. How closely converging were the scores that everybody had about these leaders over time? And were the authentic leaders' own self-perceptions, if they had them, marrying up to what other people felt about them? And for those where there was a gap that was widening or staying wide from start to finish, how were they dealing with life compared to where the scores were starting to converge, i.e. your perception of me is the same perception I have of myself, and that's improving over time. There's like a sort of confluence of these things. How were they dealing with life? Um, and even though we didn't statistically try to kind of prove it, uh, generally um, the population where there was stronger convergence of those scores over time, they were dealing with complexity, they were dealing with their teams, their performance, their own self-care vastly better than those who felt as if they were showing up better according to any scale that they were being given insight around even in the categories of self-awareness, but, but where their scores of others' perception of them and themselves were not converging. Bottom line was, if you don't truly look at yourself in the same way as others experience you, then you'll end up being found out. Either you'll find yourself out and you'll kind of go, oh, where am I? What am I doing? And why am I doing this? Or others will look at you and go, you think you're one thing, but you're not really that. Oh, that's really fascinating because that you know that's a that's a population of people who are being given pretty strong data and feedback mm -hmm. and they're still struggling to close that gap between what's known to them and what's known to others yeah and yeah, what's unknown yeah. to them and what's unknown to others um i got how so how do how do people do it when they don't even have the that kind of systematic feedback like how how do well, people wonder, build the self-awareness i wonder whether because people's self-awareness is detuned they're just not noticing that the feedback's already there. Yeah. You know, we live, we live in a society these days where anyone can share their opinion on anything, any time of day. And they often target it as people just as much as things that are going on. So for me, there's always a background narrative that says, I should have that external facing view of me because how do I want to land with the people that is my audience, whether it's through LinkedIn, whether it's through TikTok, whether it's through, you know, Snapchat or anything else that goes on. And I imagine that bleeds into the way people early in their careers see themselves in the workplace. So I wonder whether rather than it being an and or Jamie of the inside bit has to be there, wonder whether it's an and you're so used to looking externally and noticing how am I going to land and the impact I'm going to have outside. But how much am I then looking inside of me to see what impact I'm all that data I'm receiving is actually having on me and how I show up in the world? What is that data? How am I receiving it? And what evidence in me is that based on? 
And then what do I do with it? And is that maybe part of the self-awareness process that people might not need to start considering as an avenue to explore what role self-awareness can play in they show up? Because they're starting to become more tuned to that internal reaction to what they experience. Um, couldn't agree with you more. It's not an either or. It's not a dilemma here. It's not like a, I either choose to just focus on myself or what other th others think of me by those conventional, whatever industry definitions. Or um, it is definitely a both end. It's a both end, um, which I think to Derry's earlier question though, from again personal perspective um building that base layer of the pastor source which is around how in tune with me am i a bit like putting the mask on you've got to put the mask on yourself before you can help anybody else hmm. um when the oxygen suddenly gets released from the overhead lockers unless you take care of self as well as recognize that you're there to help others and kind of like the analogy there being both bits of self-awareness are vitally important um, but without the real base layer of that pasta sauce, God, I'm great at mixing these imagery things up of pasta sauce, spaghetti, mountain things coming down, mountain skydiving, sky oxygen masks. Anybody can follow this; it's genius. Um, well, let's, if, well, let's make it practical. Let's make it practical. Derry, earlier on, you shared the fact that you had six calls in the diary today. Yeah, and when you first saw that, you noticed a reaction inside of yourself. What is the evidence that you've gathered over the years that lets you know that six calls in a day, especially when two of them are new people, hangs heavy inside you? Um, very good question. So uh, the first ever, the first thing I tuned into was the the feelings I woke up with this morning, um, which was fear. Um, which manifests itself for me in elevated heart rate and uh, a, a distracted mind. So I like, you know, my mind's kind of buzzing around and flitting from one call to the other to the to the other. And essentially, that's you know, too many things on my to do list that I can't control. Um, I think so. That's kind of in the moment. I'm like, there's something that I'm uh, I'm concerned about here, and I tune into what's popping into my mind when I sit and like sit with the fear, like what's popping into my mind. Oh, it's, um, and actually today it was a combination of this conversation, which, uh, I was like, well, I don't know exactly how that's going to flow and I don't feel like I'm prepared properly, etc. Um, and the conversation I've got after this, which is a, which is a sales call with someone I haven't met before where I need to be on like full, like, here's how we can help you mindset. Um, and so I kind of tuned into those, and, and understood that it was about the diary and the calls, et cetera, that, uh, that enabled me to realize that. And then I think more broadly, the kind of backdrop is that I've, um, I've realized with my own like neurodiversity and the way that my brain, uh, I, I can overwhelm and exhaustion can creep up on me very quickly. Um, and I know that that, and that's a relatively recent thing that I've kind of started tuning into, but I know that a day like today can leave me really tired. Um, and so, that's fine in the day. It just means that there's a knock-on impact on how I have to manage myself tomorrow so that I can be productive tomorrow. Um, but the the fundamental thing for me is like tuning into like what what is the feeling? Where in the body is that manifesting? Can you name that feeling? Can you name 
can you then identify where what that is telling you like the lesson you can take from that feeling if i gave you a time machine and invited you to go back to you being 24 years old and you're faced with this same scenario what do you think you would have done without without the self-awareness without all the self-awareness uh i would have I would have um, over-prepared for all of those calls. So my fear would have driven me to work late last night, get up early this morning and prepare, 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 and just try and like control everything so that I can then like show up perfectly. Um, and that would have then rolled forward into a much higher level of uh, exhaustion and overwhelm and burnout. Um, and then I probably would have got off the calls today when I'm whenever I'm done, and I'd have cracked a beer, and I'd have gone fuck. I got through that day. Um, I'm knackered. I'm gonna have a few beers, and then so I would avoided look look avoided the self care that was necessary by just numbing out from the fear that has driven a ton of work. So I would have approached it completely differently, and not with good results. And I might have done all right in each of the individual calls on that day, but in two, three weeks' time, I'd be crushed. I need a holiday. Yeah, my productivity would fall off a cliff and it would just be unsustainable. But you'd have got to the top of the first set of hills, ultimately. Yeah, and then I'd have just skydived off without a parachute. (laughs) (laughs) Into a bowl of spaghetti. Yeah, yeah, but but, but with no real thought about self-care. Yeah, and that is a really common thing that I that I've observed over the years in in myself, but also many many people I've worked with and seen and supported is the the self care goes out of the window because the climb is deemed to be so important and people aren't aware of what the climb's doing to them. They're not aware of how it's impacting them. Graham, what about you? If you if you rolled the clock back, oh, I'd have done something similar. I don't. But it's interesting for me because that mentor story plays out for me as we start to, as I start to think back to that time of you have to be seen to be showing up and getting the job done. I'm telling you this is what job needs doing, therefore turn up and make sure this job needs doing. And I don't want to lose my job is the thought that goes through my head when I go back to that time. So putting in all of the effort that's needed, bypassing my own self-care needs in that moment, you know, missing a workout, missing the proper meal, like you say, having a drink midweek because you just need something to feel like a vice and you're breaking the rules slightly because you're conforming and compromising to the rules that the situation demands of you. And I think back then, that was my driving factor to operate in a way that I would, I would argue today is classified as mental health issues in the workplace. And I, I think so much of what I see developing in the workplace now in terms of workplace practices is because of the experiences of people in our you know, bracket of life, let's say, in those leadership roles that says we need to be more compassionate 
to our workforce in these high stress moments because these high stress moments although people can deliver lead to consequences that we don't want down the line and no one wants down the line so i think yeah if I, for me going back then that's what sparks off and yeah me and my journey the, the role self-awareness plays and knowing that as the start i started this call with you know <laughs> Feel like a bowl of spaghetti and i can't work out where the ends are it doesn't mean it's right or wrong it's just that's the words i can put to a feeling state yeah. <laughs> and i'm going to walk the dog after this call and go what was i really meaning by that <laughs> <laughs> just meaning ah. to confuse jamie who's talking about yeah. pasta sauce yeah <laughs> just gents I, for those who are listening they're both wearing white shirts so i hope they don't dive into the pasta sauce in them because they ain't never coming out so <laughs> But yeah, um, so for me, that's 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 what goes on. One one question I have for both of you is the fact that this is one of the top topics we were talking about, wanting to talk about, suggests that it's either because of our work or because of influences in our environment, um, a hot a hotter topic, maybe a more important topic than it may have been when we were twenty four, twenty five. Um, so that's one thing. So I wonder whether that's something which is the external awareness of this um concept may now be very different than it was when we were going through that first stage of scrambling out of the valleys um which is which is one thing okay so there's there's greater awareness of it we we specialize in this kind of work so we're going to be thinking about it anyway but the one thing that i've noticed as well is that self-awareness if it's now being talked about more is actually being productized as well where people are selling solutions in that self-awareness self-care space in ways that were never around when i started my professional career people talking about mindfulness techniques resilience self-care you know all sorts of health um mental physical emotional other uh, uh, both sort of self-management products digital or otherwise or courses you can go on the one thing that I, I have as a question is is the fact that people are now looking at this potentially with a commercial lens diluting the value of just simply paying attention to yourself full stop i mean i i'll, de I'll declare an, an interest in this because i i have courses on building resilience for for consultants um so as as with anything like there is opportunity for people to improve and therefore there are people that are commercializing it um i i think the flip to that is this stuff is really important and valuable for people to get their heads around so i guess i don't know it depends where you sit right like if you if you say well it's really valuable so we should just put all this information out for free that would be great but people need to get people need to pay the bills right um and so i i i think the commercialization done ethically is win-win value for individuals for the companies they work for and for the people that are providing that information but i would say that because i'm sell places on a course to teach people to be more resilient <laughs> um uh, i i think there is a real danger that these things are not done ethically um and or effectively um and then you know, people are taking money 
and and not providing any real benefit to people. But my God, that that is a that is an issue across all walks of business, I guess. Um, yeah. Well, that's that's a great point. Thank you for bringing that up. So, while there is a generally a positive benefit of people starting to become more aware of self awareness, self care, self management, self regulation, and that's kind of quite a lot of it is the, what I'd call the internal definition of self 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 awareness as a foundation. The ethical side of it, being smart and being really conscious about what you might then be getting assistance to do is something that everybody should be paying attention to as well. Because there'll be yeah, people it, taking it, advantage of this. It throws up interesting questions, right, when you start to get into the ethics of it. Like if you, one, one of the tools to build self-awareness is looking at personality types and personality profiling. And there are loads of different ways out there you can do that things like MBTI and colors, etc. You take something like MBTI, which is pretty widely, is very, very widely used and heavily commercialized, and is pretty widely demonstrated to be unreliable, uh, non predictive, not useful from a quantitative perspective. Like, is it is it unethical for people to be using MBTI as a tool and selling MBTI as a tool when there are other better personality profiling options out there or is it still it gives people insight I, I got a lot from my mbti profiles that i first did 15 years ago um would i do those again at that moment in time yeah if i didn't know any better so yeah i don't know is that is that unethical because it's not the best option out there well, well for no. me you look at all of those tools they all route to the same person you know, Carl Jung's work of 100 years ago is what MBTI was founded upon. And most of the others, DSC, like DISC, Insights, Colors, ARC, like there's so many names, are rebadged MBTI because the developer noticed the flaws in MBTI and said, Let, let's make it look like this and bring other lenses. But what I noticed in those what I notice with those is that there are is a place for those because they do offer great insight. And I always like to look at it perpendicular insight to you on your daily basis. That's the way I would term what they do. They give you a lens on you in the moment and how you could respond in a certain way on what might set you off in a different aspect from there. One thing that's really important for me, though, as we talk about this, and I heard this phrase from a colleague once, and it I think it's really appropriate. You can't pay someone else to do your own press-ups. And I think sometimes there's a notion that, oh, if I pay to get some insight or I pay to get a solution or I pay to, to get under the covers of me a little bit, then it'll all be okay. And we often talk about practice, don't we, chaps? How do you make it part of your practice? Well, practice means that it's always a forward-looking thing. It's never finished. But there's a lot of people who first go on that journey and we talked about authenticity authenticity with yourself earlier on. They say, well, I've been on it now. I can do it. And then they get caught out five minutes, five months, five years later. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What if you actually sort of came through that insight and said, now, what if I worked with this every day and started to gain more insights into myself through this lens as it lives and breathes? That would mean in the MBTA example that all eight types I can be rather than what MBTI proposes is that you're just four. Mm. And I think 
for me, I noticed that if more people can start to see that going under the cover and having that look at themselves is okay, and then knowing that that story of theirs is incomplete and always will be, that helps them then start to shift into this space of living in the moment with self-awareness that lets them access that six calls feels heavy. And I've got to take an action that isn't panic-driven or fear-driven. I've got to take one that balances fear with the optimism or the hope or the positive intent or the, the wellness of which I want to go about my day. So when I am at the end of the day and I sit with my kids and go, that was a day and I'm okay and I'm with you, not there's a Budweiser. Do you want to have a sip, kids? I know you shouldn't, but why don't we just do it for the fun? <laughs> I'm not saying you do that, Derry, but it just allows space for a more equilibrious type of day rather than these extremes of emotion and reaction. I love that word, equilibrious. I don't know whether you've just made that up on the spot, but it's, it's a word I'm going to use at home tonight over supper. Let us know how that so, goes. So, so uh, when I have the pasta sauce and the spaghetti, but um, so I kind of, I'm kind of almost trying to synthesize my understanding of that. So there's a, there's a whole bunch of really brilliant ways in which you could get help to augment self-awareness, but there's no point expecting or being in the belief that you can pay somebody else to do your press-ups. So anybody suggesting that they have the key to self-awareness as bought off a shelf through a model, a diagnostic, is probably stretching the boundaries of some kind of ethical pretense that they have the keys to the golden kingdom. Um, in actual fact, that responsibility and the power and actually the ultimately accountability of doing those press-ups and working out which data points you want to buy or get help from different people relies relies entirely on the person themselves. So we kind of, yet again, kind of like we did last time, boiling it down to, as I entered that period of becoming a leader um, or have leadership thrust upon me, I've got more responsibility here. Everybody's saying self-awareness is a great thing. I've got to build it myself. Probably haven't paid much attention to it as I've been scrambling out of my valley. I've got all these people now offering me solutions as to how to become more self-aware. But ultimately, it's down to me again. It really is down to me. Yeah, don't rush out the valley. Enjoy the view on the way up. <laughs> there, yeah, there, there is a reason that um, this is called the work. I, I, yeah. don't, I, I don't know how widely that term is used, actually, but in, in men's work, it, everything is always referred to as the work. And when a, in my men's group, when a man is working through something, uh, we talk about the work that he's done. And that like someone else working through an issue can help me with my work, but I've still got to take make the effort to then take the bits of shadow that he's got hold of and the bit of work that he's been doing and think, how does that play back to me? How can I use that? How, what can I get out of that? And that is further work. And it, it's, it never ends. Like there's there's always going to be moments where you get tripped up and triggered and uh, need to think about why that is and what's going on for you. So I I totally agree. Like this is not something that someone else can do for you. They can point you in the path and they can give you a, a backpack. Gonna, let's go back to the, the valley and the mountains. They can show you the path up the mountain and they can give you a backpack full of tools that you can use 
to overcome the obstacles that you're going to trip up to, but you've got to learn how to use those tools. And adapt uh, them. Yeah. How can you use a knife to unlock a flathead screw? Yeah. Type things. And some of the tools you'll throw away as you try to use them and they're not useful for you and others you'll, you'll merge them together. And yeah, it's a, it is a lot. It's a lifetime of work to be really good at this stuff, but the rewards are worth it. So nice little moment there, gents. If, if we think about if you could leave the listeners with one key tip that they could use to access greater levels of self-awareness, what would you offer them? There are, there are, I mean, there are lots of, lots of things, but I think the, the number one thing for me is when something happens that provokes a, an, an, an intensity of emotion, whatever emotion that is, and I, you know, for people that aren't tuned into their emotions, you basically boil it down to sadness, fear, anger, joy, and maybe think of shame as a as a fifth one. Um, or the conscious leadership group would talk about sexual feelings as well. Like whatever emotion comes up above a threshold of intensity, sit with that emotion and try and figure out what it's telling you about you, about your interactions with other people and uh, boil it down to what's the data, what judgments do you make and what feelings do you have? And do that often enough and you'll start to build that muscle. So you slow down and sit with it. Slow down and sit with it, yeah. Actually, funnily enough, the, the, the one thing that came to mind when you asked that question, Graham, was time. Time, slow down. Um, every time, everything, the one thing that I've benefited from most is recognizing I am in charge of my time. Um, and in doing and reframing that, um, I've started to notice more about myself. Um, so for me, it is all about just slow down. And then everything starts to become a little bit more visible. Um, uh, you start to become more aware, uh, quite naturally. I would add to that, that that time then also leads to what I would offer people, which is the when you first get the emotional reactions, you think it's 100% of the moment you're feeling. The truth is it's probably about 95%. So making that shift from a 100% view of this is all of it to this is actually just 95% and then explore what that other 5% could be. I think that's what can start to come up when you give yourself the time because you allow the finite nature to dissipate a little bit and create capacity for yourself to balance, be equilibrious, see what's more is there. Love that. So we've got three different, we've got pay attention to those physical, emotional feelings, slow down. And then ask another question. Ask the what else. Ooh. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a self-help book. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> At WH Smith, the 999 will solve all your problems 
Um, and by the way, sign this way, but there's no ethics involved. Jamie, they're probably going to want an ebook version, not the Smith version. Oh, God, that's showing my age, isn't it? I'm definitely outside that golden age. So on that bombshell, thanks for listening to this week, everybody. We'll catch you soon on the next one. Thanks all. Thank you, guys. Thank you.